Today we're doing a standalone sermon, a teaching ser sermon from uh, the book of Acts. Um, if you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to go ahead and grab your Bible and find Acts turned on. We're going to be in the book of Acts, not A-X-E, but A-C-T-S. The book of Acts, it's the Acts of the Apostles, which is in the New Testament. So find your way there. And this is my title for today. What stops you from being baptized? What stops you from being baptized? This actually comes from the text where we see this man say, what prevents me from being baptized? Today, I want you to ask the question, what stops me from being baptized? Our vision for 2020, for this year, is we believe God has called us to, um, to grow his kingdom. I believe it's going to be a year of significant fruit and harvest in a lot of different ways. Um, in the midst of a polarized culture, in the midst of a divided culture, especially as we step into November of 2020, I believe that God is calling us to demonstrate to our city and to demonstrate to the culture what kingdom looks like. And if you haven't figured this out, by the way, the kingdom of the world cannot figure it out. The kingdom of this world will be polarized, will be divided, will be messed up, will be turned in on itself, will implode. We'll have all sorts of crazy stuff that is going on. The kingdom of God is supposed to demonstrate in the midst of the kingdom of this world what it's like to have shalom and peace and hope and healing and love and grace. You and me. You and me. And so I believe this year we're going to step into, um, I think, some significant kingdom fruit that God wants to bring in our church and in our city and outside our church even as well. Um, just a few days ago, I got a message from one of you, one of our members that said during the week of prayer and fasting, she felt like she heard from the Lord um, that this year in 2020 was going to be for our church and not just for our church, but specifically for our church, a, a year of the miraculous of people getting saved, of miraculous healings, of miraculous forgiveness, of miraculous reconciliation. And she sent that email, and it was like the best email I'd gotten in about four days. And I'm like, right on, sister. I'm down with that. Um, don't you love it, by the way, when you get a great email? I love it when I get a good email. If you would this afternoon, if you want to send me a good email. Um, no, I'm just joking. Um, but I, lo I, lo I love that, and I, I believe that. I'm like, right on. Like, we're stepping into this year what um, we believe God is calling us to do, and we're also, um, we're believing that God is, is calling us uh, to believe him and to step out on faith, to believe him um, for someone to be baptized in every worship gathering at the bridge for the whole year of 2020. You may have heard me say this already, but if, if you're new, if you hadn't heard this yet, I want to kind of give you some of the backstory behind that. Uh, just a few months ago, I think it was November-ish, um, during the Rooted series, uh, my family and I were all in our people mover of an SUV headed, on, um, headed uh, to Raleigh-Durham area on I-40. Um, my kids were losing their mind in the back seat, um, but thank God for a DVD player. My wife is doing some work in the passenger seat. I've got the headphones on. I'm listening to music, listening to sermons because I'm a sermon junkie. Any other sermon junkies in the room, just out of curiosity, one or two of us in the room love sermons, listen to sermons all day long if I can. Um, listening to a sermon, just really in a, just a great spirit of connecting with the Lord. And I really was stirring in me for thinking about this year and what God would have us to do. Can I just be honest with you? I personally have a lot of uh, intrepidation that I know is from my flesh about 2020 and about what's going to happen this year and what's going to happen um, politically and what's going to happen. Um, just it, my, my worry isn't necessarily so much about what happens out there, but what happens in here. 
and the intrepidation of us trying to figure this out. We're doing something really unprecedented, trying to be a multi-ethnic, multicultural church in a city that's segregated and divided and has a bad past, which our country does too, by the way, and trying to, and trying to figure this out together and what, what this looks like. Anyways, a lot of intrepidation thinking about 2020, and as I'm sitting in the car with my headphones on, I just feel like this prompting, this like leading that um, we, should, we should really try to grow the kingdom of God in 2020, and not worry about the kingdom of this world, but worry about the kingdom of God, and that we should try to baptize someone in every worship gathering in 2020, and I'm like, that's crazy, that's insane, and I'm like, that's not from the Lord, you know how you do that, you, know, you do that too? That's not from the Lord. You just keep going. You just plug in. You hit next. You know, hit skip. You just go on to the next thing. And then you, one of the ways that you know that it's from the Lord is that it's um, relentless. God, like, doesn't give up. Like, sometimes when God speaks, he just, he, you know, he's not going to give, give up if it's, if it's from him and if he's got a mission for you. And so, I mean, after, like, a while of trying to um, deny and delay and just try to push that off to the side, um, I really felt like it was from the Lord. And so I um, shared that with uh, my wife and shared that with our elders, shared that with our senior leadership team, shared that with our staff, and then shared that with you. And every single time, it's been scary. <laughs> um, but I believe this is what the Lord is calling us to. And I'm like, wow. I mean, thinking about baptism 2020, I mean, that's, that's a couple every Sunday. And then I'm like, oh, wait, no, we're doing three worship gatherings. Okay, we just increased it by 50%. But I believe God is calling us and leading us to step out in faith and to believe him uh, for people to come and to meet him. And so... Today, the, what I'm doing today and what our elders felt like was helpful for today is I'm going to do one sermon today um, from Acts chapter 8 on baptism and hopefully lay a little bit of a foundational kind of groundwork for where we are going for this year. And so I hope this teaching will be helpful for you and encouraging for you regardless of where you are. Three groups of people in the room today that I want to pinpoint and to address um, specifically Three groups. The first group is what I would call the disbelieving. The disbelieving. Um, for whatever reason, uh, maybe you're new to church. Maybe you're just checking this Jesus thing out. Maybe you're skeptic, skeptical. Maybe you're doubting, wh whatever it is. But for whatever reason, you are um, disbelieving. You're not at a place yet where you have begun to follow Jesus with your life. And if you're here, by the way, we love that you are here. Like, I mean, we get excited, like, hearing stories about people that haven't yet believed yet. Maybe they're checking out. Maybe they're learning. Whatever it is. Um, we are super excited that you are here. Bridge Church, would you put your hands together, by the way, for the people that are coming, that are checking things out? Um, <clears throat> love that. And just, just so you know, just so you know, if, if that's you, you're in that category. You're like, man, I'm just, I'm just not, I'm not a believer yet. I'm just not there yet. Uh, we... We are glad that you are here. This is a safe place. We're here to walk with you. We believe that we can't do it anyways. It's something that God does between him and you. It's not something that we fabricate. And so we're just glad that you're here. We want to help you. We want to um, hold your hand, whatever that looks like to help you where you are. This is a safe place. And so you can be here and you can ask your questions. You can have your doubts. You can have your concerns. We've all had, I'm pretty sure, all the, those same questions that you have as well. So the first group is the disbelieving. And what, I'm gonna, what I want you to do, I want you to believe. I want you to believe. I want you to trust Christ and give your life to him. And I want you to be baptized and follow in what he has called for you and what he has for your life. That's the first group, disbelieving. The second group is the delaying. The delaying. This is the group of people in the room today who have believed. They're followers of Jesus. They've given their life to Christ. They have crossed the line of faith. They're followers of Jesus but have not yet been baptized. Um, maybe... 
for a variety of reasons. Maybe you don't think it's a big deal. Um, maybe you haven't had an opportunity. Um, maybe you are terrified of water. Maybe you're like, I don't know what that's going to do to my hair. You know what I mean? Literally going into the water. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe you're just freaked out because of water. Maybe you're freaked out for being in front of other people. Um, I get it. I understand. Maybe you're like, man, I don't think I can read or speak in front of that many people. I get it. We'll read your story for you. We'll, we'll, we'll help you out. We'll do whatever we can uh, to make this um, as, as harmless as possible for you. But whatever reason it is, you're just delaying. You trusted Christ, but you know you have not been baptized. And you should be baptized. And you're just delaying. That's the second group that I want to talk to. And then the third group that I want to talk to are the denying. Denying. Those of you who need to acknowledge what the really the biblical pattern is and what Jesus' command is for you to be baptized. Maybe you've got a confused past. Maybe you've got like a, an interesting religious spiritual struggle in your own life and trying to figure this out. Maybe you are confused. Maybe you did get baptized at one point, but it wasn't super clear. Maybe it actually wasn't your decision. Maybe you got baptized before you actually believed. Um, maybe you got baptized just as some kind of like religious ritual or maybe as an infant or a baby or, or something like that. Um, for whatever reason, you're in a place where you're like um, denying the reality that you should take the step of baptism. Now, I think, I mean, I, I really think this is a confusing issue in um, in the church and it actually has been kind of confusing I was reading this week and researching and early church fathers in the first second third and fourth century uh, were confused uh, about this um, I think there's a lot of confusion and a lot of struggle um, uh, I think because of the way that we do some things but I heard a story um, recently of a man that he grew up in church and he grew up in one of these churches where the um, the kids space was like super amazing they had this ship they had this like huge ship that was like in the kids area, which sounds awesome, by the way. They had this like huge pirate ship and inside the kids area at the church. And then they had these cannons, like these uh, cannons that stuck out of the side. And anytime someone got baptized, they were confetti cannons and confetti would just like shoot out um, up the side. It's like, poof, which is like, wow, that's like, man, we should maybe get some confetti cannons in here. That sounds awesome. Um, he says like it was so fun and it was so amazing. As a kid, he got baptized four times. Like, <laughs> He's like, I just like the, he's like, I just like to see the confetti fly. Um, he's like, it was just fun. It was, everybody else was doing it, so I just thought I would do it too. Um, and then he would learn later, oh, okay, baptism is supposed to be something that represents belief and that you take the step of baptism after you have believed. And so then later in life, he actually gets baptized um, once he understands what baptism is about. Regardless, I think there's some confusion, and I think there may be some, uh, some struggle or some fear, um, or something that you might be facing today that I want to encourage you in. The disbelieving, the delaying, and the denying. If you would, look with me in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Um, this is what it says. And an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Philip's just an ordinary guy. Philip's not a pastor, he's not an apostle, he's not a professional Christian, he's just an ordinary dude. And the angel of the Lord speaks to him. Wow, this is pretty boss. It says this, he says, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Wow, gives him instructions. But limited details. How many of you um, hate it when God gives you limited details? Like, I, God, if you could um, come back, I need to hear a little bit more on exactly what you're asking me to do. Do you know that some, a lot of times God will give you the direction, but he won't give you the destination? God, God won't give you what the end is going to be. He just gives you a direction and see if you're going to be faithful and obedient with the direction that he's given you. 
And do you trust him with the destination? He gives Philip these directions to go towards Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, a queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure. Wow. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Wow. I got to stop. This is just a crazy set of circumstances. The book of Acts was written during the first century. This is essentially the account of the early church um, that is expanding from Jerusalem where it began to the ends of the earth. This is the story of the book of Acts. Here in Acts chapter 8, we see a guy named Philip um, who is in a place called Samaria. And now he's back in Jerusalem. And now he's got another mission to go somewhere else. At this point... In the book of Acts, God's people were congregated in the city of Jerusalem, but God's ultimate destination for them was to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to all the nations, to all the ethne, which is what Jesus would say in his great commission. It would take persecution coming to Jerusalem for the Christians to actually obey God, and then they are scattered all over um, the Greco-Roman world in the first century. And in this story, we see this guy named Philip goes to this place called Samaria. He's not a pastor. He's not an apostle. He's, he's, just, a, he's just a believer. He's a follower of Jesus. And he shows up in Samaria, and he's so convinced of who Jesus is and what he has done that he shares this good news with people. And this is what's amazing about the gospel. When the gospel is shared, when the gospel moves, it changes things. It messes people up. It, it changes things. It delivers people. And this is what happens. People get healed. People get delivered. People get saved. And it says there was much joy in the city. It's amazing. And then, then Philip gets, um, he, he heads back to Jerusalem. We don't know exactly why. Maybe he wanted to go back home. Maybe he needed to collect his belongings. When he gets to Jerusalem, uh, God, uh, through an angel and through his spirit, says to him, I need you to head somewhere else. I need you to head south on the road toward Gaza. So, I mean, I just got back, but okay. Right, next mission, uh, next mission I'll, I'll take you up on that, that mission. And so he begins to head that way. He's just walking in a direction without knowing where he's going. And all of a sudden there's this Ethiopian. There's this Ethiopian that's like in this chariot. Now the Ethiopian, he was... Um, the treasurer for Candace, which was the queen of Ethiopia. He's like the CFO of the entire nation of Ethiopia. I mean, this guy is like the, he's, he's the treasurer. I mean, he's, he's got, I mean, he's super affluent. I mean, he's super high up. He's a government official. He's got his own chariot. He rolls in style. It's a modern day Escalade. He's rolling down the road to, toward Gaza. I mean, this guy is, is loaded. He's got all of this stuff. And then it says, it tells us that he is, um, he's reading, which would have been rare for someone in the first century. Not many people were actually literate. He's reading. And then it says he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. Um, by the way, in the first century, um, everybody didn't have one of these, by the way, in, in the first century. Um, he's got a scroll. It's like, do you all know what a scroll is? It's got like one uh, stick at the one end and one stick at the other end, and you kind of like open it up. He's got this scroll. It's like written on parchment. I mean, this is, this is absurd. Um, uh, the assumption is probably while he was in Jerusalem, maybe in and around the temple, he's like, I'll take a scroll. Let me buy that. I mean, this is crazy. Typically, scrolls are only in a synagogue or a temple or maybe in a public place or a, a library. He's got his own copy, and he is reading um, Isaiah. 
And he, he went there to worship. He went there to investigate who this God of Israel is because he would have worshipped all sorts of different kinds of gods in Ethiopia. This is an unbelievable exchange. And then we see this in verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. I'd have been like, that's a little awkward, God. Um, you just want me to like walk up to his chariot and like say, hey, should I go like ninja style and like act, you know, just walk kind of aside, you know, like, or should I say something like, what, what, what should I do? Verse 30. So Philip ran to him. He's like, I got you. That joker ran. He ran to him. He's excited about the gospel. He heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, he just asked him, he's like, man, this guy's reading Isaiah. This is crazy. This is like unbelievable. Do you understand what you were reading? In verse 31, the Ethiopian man, he said, how can I unless someone guides me? This is like the easiest evangelistic opportunity ever in the history of the world. I'm reading the Bible right now, um, but I really don't understand it. I just wish there was someone around me that could actually explain this to me. Philip's like, I got you. And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. He hops up in the Escalade with him. This is like an unbelievable um, situation. This is amazing. What, what I want to show you here, it's the spirit that's doing this. I mean, it's not Philip. Philip's not this some amazing guy. He's not some amazing preacher. He's just an obedient follower of Jesus, and the spirit is doing this whole thing. The spirit is sending Philip, the Spirit is drawing this man, and then we're going to see that the Spirit is the one that actually converts him and brings him to trust and belief in Christ. It's all the Spirit. And this is really interesting as well. Why this road? Why this man? Why this Ethiopian? Why, why this? Of all things, God, why, why would you send me to him? This is what God is doing. The Spirit of God, God himself, takes it on himself to accomplish the Great Commission. The Great Commission, as we'll read in a moment, is go and make disciples, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And, and it's, this is a, to do it to all the nations. The Greek there is the ta ethne. It's to all the ethnics, all the ethnic groups. And God is organizing this situation with a Middle Eastern Jew, Philip, to meet this North African Ethiopian man and to bring the gospel to him. It's amazing. God's doing this. God's making his gospel cross cultures and to go to all the nations. It's, it's amazing. Church historians would say it's most likely that this Ethiopian would actually take the gospel back to North Africa and would perhaps be responsible for the revival that would happen for centuries to come in Northern Africa. See what God is doing here? I mean, it's just, it's just amazing the way that he is working. Then we see, look at this in verse 32. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading, that this man was reading, uh, is this. Like a sheep was led to the slaughter, and like a, like a lamb before it shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now we know this is Isaiah 53. This is the prophecy of Isaiah speaking of the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah who would come and who would be like a suffering lamb, like a lamb that would be slaughtered but would go to their slaughter silently without resisting as Jesus would. It's a prophecy of Jesus who would come and who would be the lamb of God 
the lamb whose blood would be for, slain rather, for the forgiveness of our sins. And it's a pr prophecy. And this man just happens to be reading these verses. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Which is super insightful. This Ethiopian, he's quite educated, quite smart. And he's like, is this prophet, is he writing about himself or is he actually writing about someone else? In verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth, said, I'll tell you. And beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He tells him the good news about Jesus. He's like, I need to, I need to tell you about this guy. There's a man named Jesus, but he was unlike any other man. Um, looked like a man. It looked, looked normal from what you would normally expect a man to be, but there was something different about this man, and there was something about him that he carried about with him that was really otherworldly. Something different, something crazy. Some message, this news, this announcement, there were healings and miracles, this anointing, just something different about him. And then Philip would, I assume, walk through the other scriptures in the Old Testament and unpack for this man who Jesus is. Explain the gospel to him and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then we see this in verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me or what stops me from being baptized? And so he commanded the chariot, his chariot, to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. I want to focus today on the nature of this man who is taking the step to be baptized and why he has this desire within him immediately. He's still on his chariot. He has just heard the news of the gospel, why he feels the need to go ahead and take the step of being baptized right away. Now, here's what we find beginning in uh, the Great Commission, which is the message that Jesus gives his early disciples for what they should be about. It's in Matthew 28, verses 19, 19 through 20. It says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all the ethnic groups, of all nations, all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I think it's important for us to recognize that Jesus says, go make disciples, and then the very next thing he says is, not start a Bible study, not start a community group, not do some kind of prayer meeting. The next thing that he says is baptizing them. That's the order. That's, that's the plan. Jesus is like, Make disciples, tell people about me, explain it. If they believe, if they trust, baptize them. That, that's the norm. That is, that's the pattern. This word baptize, baptize or, or baptism, it actually comes from the Greek word baptizo. Um, it's a transliteration, which means we just copied it and made it an English word, and so it's baptism or baptize. It, it means in its Greek form, it, it originally means to um, immerse or to plunge or to dip. It's a physical demonstration, a physical reality of an inward spiritual reality. Now, I said this last week. Um, Jesus is a genius. Um, he, he's, he's a genius. Like, he, for him to come up with this and have this idea is just really brilliant. Like, why baptism, you know? Like, can't we just all get wristbands or something? You know, I mean... Isn't like a cross around your neck fine? I mean, why, why? 
I mean, I'll even get a tattoo for you, Jesus. But why baptism? Like, that's, you know, I mean, it's, um, it's interesting. It's weird. Um, it's, you know, there's a couple hundred gallons of water right now that are, that's on our stage. I mean, surely there is an easier uh, solution than this. Why this? Like, why baptism? Here's why. Jesus would institute um, two things that we should practice on a regular basis um, as a church, as the people of God, that would be um, kind of like signposts or reminders of what he actually came to do. One of those things is communion. We do this every Sunday at the bridge. Communion, you, you come and you receive. It's, it's, a, it's a little meal. It's symbolic. There's, there's bread and there's a cup. And we break the bread and we say, Christ's body broken for you. And you take the bread and you dip it in the cup. And we say, Christ's blood shed for you. Jesus instituted that. That was his idea. Like, he came up with that. And he said, y'all need, need to be doing this. And you need to be reminding yourself, as often as you do this, re remember me. And so he, he, he established communion, which is a great idea. And then the other thing that he did is he established baptism, which is just a one-time um, act of everyone that actually becomes a follower of Jesus. He said, I want you to take someone and dunk them under the water and then bring them back up. And you're like, that's a little bit bizarre. Why? Here's what it does. It symbolizes something. Jesus, um, after he would die and be hung on a cross for your sin and my sin, would be then put into a tomb, into a grave, which would be underground, which would represent under the ground, um, would represent death. And he would actually die. But Jesus, three days later, would conquer Satan, sin, hell, and the grave and would break out of that tomb and would resurrect with new life and would come up out of the ground to stand in newness of life. That's what the water represents. When you go under the water, it represents the tomb. It represents death. It represents your past. It represents your pain. It represents your problems. It represents what happened to you and what you did as well. And when you go under the water, it's representing that old life, you're dead. But then when you come out of the water, it represents a new life. It represents it's a new day for you. It means your past is your past. You're stepping in the newness, stepping into fullness, stepping into healing, stepping into hope, stepping into peace, stepping into shalom, stepping into a relationship with God. That's what it represents. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus said, all right, everybody that follows me, every one of them, we're going to um, be baptized. It's the gospel. It's a beautiful demonstration of the gospel. I love the, I love the old hymn, And Can It Be, written by Charles Wesley. These lines, it says this. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's what the gospel is. Stepping into new lives, stepping into forgiveness, stepping into acceptance of the Father. Now, I think there's um, quite a bit of um, confusion in our culture, and I would say even within the church, on what it means to be a believer, what it means to believe, um, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So I, I want to do this for you. There's um, uh, five different categories of um, people um, or ideas or perspectives that I just want to help walk you through and so you can understand exactly what we're talking about today. Over here on the far left is the category of atheism. An atheist would say, I believe that there is um, no God. 
I believe there's no God. I actually, most atheists don't even believe in anything that is supernatural or anything other than matter. That we actually are all just a collection and a coincidence of chemicals and things that have come together. Um, it's by chance that we got here, and then when we're done, we are done. Atheists. If you're an atheist in the room, we love that you're here. It's amazing that you're, you're, you're welcome to be here. We're glad that you are here. Hopefully, I did justice to your um, ideas. It's a, it's a broad generalization. I'm sure it's more nuanced in your own mind. But atheism, generally speaking, is that. Agnosticism, the person that would say, um, I believe in the possibility of God. I'm not going to say, as an agnostic, that there is no God. I'll just say that there could be a God. There's a possibility that there is a God. Now, as an agnostic, I'm not necessarily going to um, try to obey that God or know that God or follow that God. I'm just going to say it could happen. I'm just going to say it's a possibility. Maybe you're spiritual. Maybe you're not spiritual. Maybe you're into some other perspective, ideology, philosophy, whatever it is. But I'd say there could be a God, agnosticism. Then polytheism. Polytheism is the um, belief in many gods. I believe in many gods, poly and then theistic. Many gods, many ways, many religions, many ideas, many perspectives, many paths. I just believe in them all. Lots of spiritual stuff. Believes that the world is very spiritual. A lot of spiritual things going on. Your way is great for you. My way is great for me. We're all going to the same place. We're going to end up at the same direction or end up at the same destination. Might be going in different directions, but it's fine. Many gods, whatever God for you is fine. Whatever's God for me is fine as well. Polytheism. And then as well, theism. Theism says, I believe there is a God. I believe in a God. This would be very similar to our early founding fathers, who many of whom were deists. Now, someone that is a theist would say, no, I believe there is a God, and most likely I believe that there is one God. I believe in this God. But many um, theists and many a deist practice an idea of believing in God that isn't personal, that isn't close. Our early founding fathers, some of whom would even take a razor blade to the Bible to take out some of the things they didn't agree with, believed in God, but God was distant. He was a distant deity. He wasn't close. He wasn't connected. He wasn't actually involved in your life or involved in the affairs of the world. He just kind of put it in motion and he kind of stepped back and he's doing his own thing now. That's theism. Then Christianity is I surrender to Jesus as God. Here's my most necessary and I think critical demarcation for us today just because you believe in God that does not make you a Christian uh, based on whatever statistics you read upwards of 70 80 percent of Americans would say they believe in God um, most people believe in some kind of spirituality some kind of God some kind of thing like that um, I think we have um, adopted in our culture this idea that if you just believe in God that makes you a believer I mean, I'm a believer. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe in the man upstairs. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously there. I even pray sometimes, you know? I mean, when things get hard, things get rough, I mean, I, I need God in my life. And so, you know, I, I pray, and, you know, I'm just trying to do my thing. You know, I'm trying to live a good life, just trying to, trying to get through this thing, just like you and everybody else, you know? Um, but, yeah, 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 I, I believe in God. The line of faith is not just believing that there is a God. It's surrendering your life to Jesus as God. That's, that's, what, that's what the gospel is. The gospel isn't have some kind of fairy tale idea of God. The gospel is that Jesus is God. 
He is the Son of God. We believe in a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Spirit. Jesus is the Son of God, entered human his history, took on human flesh to live the life that you and I could not live, to die the death that we were condemned to die, and conquered the grave that we could not conquer. That is the gospel. Fairy tale, ideology, uh, ideological ideas and perspectives about God is not Christianity. Here's, here's my fear. I think we've got a Christian nation, a lot of people that believe in God, less who are actually Christian. Now, that sounds extremely judgmental. What I'm trying to say is that when you, you look at the scripture and you look at Jesus and you, you look at what Jesus calls us to, it's pretty radical. It's not just some idea of, of who God is. No, it's following Jesus. Christianity is about following Jesus. It's not just enough just to believe in a God. Now, every, I would say every age of the church or every season of the church, um, every generation is, is off on something. I think in 20 years, 30 years from now, we'll look back, I'll look back and be like, wow, we were kind of off on that. Or, man, we were a little bit, wish, wish I could have tightened that up a little bit because it was, it's the nature of, it's the nature of a fallen world. It's easy for us to look back on previous generations and point our fingers at them. I do think though there is a reality that we have um, created a culture where, where people can believe in an idea of God but aren't actually Christians. So for instance, I took up Pastor Chris on his um, MLK weekend um, annual rhythm that he does, which is reading Dr. King's letter from Birmingham jail. Uh, it took this week, actually took several days because it's pretty lengthy, and read the letter. And the letter is written to pastors. Dr. King was actually a minister. He was a reverend. Um, and he, in Alabama, he actually writes this letter to Christian pastors in the city and in the state um, and what I read is honestly incredibly disturbing. I'm like, what? How, could, how could that happen? Here, here's an excerpt from it. Dr. King says, In the midst of blatant injustices inflicted upon the Negro, I have watched white churchmen stand on the sideline and mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialties in the midst of a mighty struggle to get rid, to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice I have heard many ministers say those are social issues with which the gospel has no real concern. I have traveled the length and breadth of Alabama, Mississippi, and all the other southern states on sweltering summer days and crisp autumn mornings. I have looked at the south's beautiful churches with their lofty spires pointing heavenward. I have beheld the impressive outlines of her massive religious education buildings. Over and over, I have found myself asking, what kind of people worship here? Who is their God? Where were their voices when the lips of Governor Barnett dripped with words of interposition and nullification? Where were they when Governor Wallace gave a clarion call for defiance and hatred? Where were their voices of support when bruised and weary Negro men and women decided to rise from the dark dungeons of complacency to the bright hills of creative protest? Ethan, what are you trying to say? I'm not called to judge people's hearts, but 
But I am called to say that that was not Christian. That they were off significantly. Whatever they were doing, whatever they're singing in their churches, whatever they were about, might have believed in God, might have had great ideas about God, might even use the Bible, but it wasn't Christian in its essence form of following Jesus and doing what Jesus has called us to do. That's just an analogy. But here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. Are you believing in some kind of idea of a God and not actually surrendered your life to Christ? That, that's what I'm trying to get at. Uh, have you? Have you, gotten to, have you gotten to a place in your life where you've surrendered your life to Christ? If you have not, you may be godly. You, you may be a believer. You may be this or you may be that, but you are not a follower of Jesus. Now let's talk, let me wrap this up. Let's, let me unpack for you um, why baptism, what baptism is. Here's the first thing I'll say. Baptism is the first way you identify with following Jesus. It's the first way. Like, we, I didn't come up with this. Um, Jesus came up with this. The, the first way, the, the first way you identify with following Jesus is to be baptized. In the New Testament, the immediate reaction to understanding and believing the gospel is baptism. In the New Testament, baptism is supposed to be the mark of the beginning of a life of discipleship. Baptism is Jesus' way of drawing a line in the sand. So baptism is the first way you identify with following Jesus as well. Belief is the personal decision. Baptism is the public declaration. Belief happens in your heart. Belief happens in your own life. I can't do that. I can't force you to do that. That's between you and God. I can't assess whether or not you've actually had genuine belief in your heart. Hopefully there'll be fruit of that that comes out in your life, but it's not my role to be responsible for whether or not belief has happened in your life. But if belief has happened, if belief has happened inwardly, then the outward demonstration and the public declaration of that is baptism, which means baptism requires you to go public. Jesus isn't okay with anybody following him, being a follower of Jesus in the shadows. Um, had a had a young guy a couple weeks ago that um, came up to me after one of our worship gatherings, and he said, this is only the second time that I've been to church. Um, he said, but for a long time I've lived in the shadows. He said, and honestly, I was pretty comfortable with living in the shadows, and that was the story of my life. Um, he said, and the light, the light seems a little scary to me because I don't know exactly what to expect. Uh, but today I felt like I need to take the step out of the shadows and step into the light. And he said, and I, I need to get baptized. That's what, you can't follow Jesus in the shadows. You, you, you gotta go public. You gotta go public with your faith. And I just wanna say too, y'all, like, um, baptism is freaking amazing, by the way. Can I just say that? I mean, it, it, it's, it's a little weird, a little awkward, um, but it's amazing. I mean, just like communion, there, there are moments when I receive communion and I take communion. And in my, my own heart, my own place with God, I mean, that bread and that cup, it does something in me, right? I mean, it's something powerful that God does. He uses that in, in me. There isn't anything like magical about the bread, but it's something about that moment, about that step of obedience that's powerful in my life. Like Pastor Chris has pointed out, um, this is just New Hanover County tap water, okay, with a lot of Gen X in it, all right? There, there, there isn't anything magical about the water but there is something special about baptism there is something that's that's powerful there is something about taking a step and saying my old life is done and my new life is here 
And Jesus is taking care of my past, and he's going to take care of my future as well. And I'm stepping into a new day. There's something powerful about that. Something powerful about that. And that's what baptism does. And then I'll say this as well. Baptism, baptism follows belief. Baptism follows belief. That is the normal pattern. That's the normal order when we look at Scripture. 27 times I find in the book of Acts um, a story of someone being baptized. 27 times. And the, the order, the pattern, the, the apostles, they preach, they say, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Believe and be baptized. That's the normal order. Now, I will say, my Presbyterian brothers and sisters in Christ, um, as well, my, um, I got a lot of pastor friends in the city, many of whom who are Presbyterian, um, a lot of denominations that are represented, a lot of different nuances. My Presbyterian brothers and sisters, which I understand because of the Old Testament sign of circumcision, would say that the baptism is a New Testament, um, sorry, the Old Testament sign of the covenant is circumcision. The New Testament sign of the covenant is baptism. And therefore, uh, we should baptize our children, children whenever they are born. I understand where they're coming from. And I do understand that there are three instances in Acts where it says there was a household that was baptized. One of those very clearly says the entire uh, household was saved and they got baptized. The other two, it's not as clear. I will just say it seems to be the most common, simple, straightforward reading and understanding of the scripture is that baptism follows belief. That's, the, that's, as, that's as simple as I can. Now, people, are, people disagree. I understand. Okay, I, I got it. Here's what, here's what I'm saying. I'm not like wanting anybody to be Presbyterian or to be Baptist or to be Methodist or any of that stuff. I just want you, if God is leading you and calling you to take a step of faith, and to demonstrate your faith publicly through baptism that you should do it. And, and honestly, like, like um, and, and not because of a quota, y'all. Not because I'm like engineering up a scheme to see how we can get to enough baptisms for 2020. And I better preach it hard if we're going to reach our quota. Screw that. All right. Screw that. Like, I, I'm generally concerned about you. I'm not saying this because of what I need from you. I'm saying this because of what I want for you. Just step into this reality and be experienced what God has for you, what Jesus has um, designed and created for you. And then this is the last thing I'll say. Baptism is always sooner rather than later. Baptism is always sooner rather than later. As soon as you cross the line of faith, as soon as you're ready to put your trust in Jesus, get baptized. Go ahead and do it. Now, just for clarity, I'm not asking any of you to get baptized today, okay? Like, what's he getting ready to do at the end? Is he going to ask? I see what he's doing. Is he going to ask me to come back? No. I just encourage you to, to take this step. We'll help you. You don't have to do this on your own. You don't have to figure it out on your own. Um, we'll help you. We'll help you walk through it. Um, I'm not asking you to do anything. Um, get baptized today. Um, this is something that we would um, help you to begin to do and to take the step in order to do. Baptism always happens sooner rather than later. Not after a theology class. Not after a proving period, um, but baptism is always sooner rather than later if there is genuine belief. Now let me, let me wrap it up with my own personal story. Um, I know that you have your own story, and um, my story may be similar to yours or may not be similar to yours, but I just felt like it would be helpful for you to hear my story. Um, I grew up as a church kid. Um, any church kids in the house, by the way? Uh, got a few church kids in the house. Some of you were like practically born in the church. Um, 
I grew up as a church kid. Um, I, personally, for me, I wasn't one of those um, kids that was like, um, kind of ran away from everything, but was kind of the ones that like figured out how to keep all the rules and do the right stuff and to say the right things and to look the right way. And I was a religious kid. I knew how to check the religious boxes um, at church. And um, the kind of church that I grew up is uh, what people refer to as hellfire and brimstone. I'm still not sure what brimstone is, but um, it was one of those churches where they're uh, talking about hell all, all the time. And, you know, I remember being a little kid and it seemed like, you know, every time I was at a church event or something, there was somebody talking about heaven or hell. And I remember being a little kid and being like, hell sounds bad. Heaven sounds great. I, can I do that deal? And they're like, yeah, if you just accept Jesus into your heart, then you can go to heaven. And I'm like, that sounds amazing. I'll ask Jesus into my heart. I'll ask Jimmy into my heart. I'll ask anybody into my heart if it means that I get to go to hell. That's a great deal. Like, who would ever pass that up? I remember being nine years old and kind of making that decision and getting baptized. And the problem is that for the next few years, even as a young teenager, I would just have this paralyzing fear in my life that something wasn't right. Um, looking back, I recognize that I was still trying to save myself. Looking back, I still recognize that I was trying to religious for God so that he would love me. It wasn't until I was 16 that I would really understand the gospel was that, um, you know, religion is if you obey, God will love you. The gospel is um, God loves you, so therefore obey. And I remember being 16 and uh, trusting Christ. Um, just, I mean, light bulb came on for me and just like was real, more real than it had ever been. But I didn't tell a soul because everybody thought I was like a good Christian kid. I didn't tell a soul because I would be ashamed if people found out that I became a Christian because I wasn't earlier. So about a year later, God would actually call me to be a pastor, and I would go to Bible college right after high school, and then I would be a youth pastor for a couple of years, and then would actually begin to go to seminary and never telling anyone my story and kind of hiding it. Um, and then showing up at a church um, one day, and I said, uh, baptized after you surrendered your life to Christ. And I was like, oh, they got me. They got me. And at that moment, I was like, you know what? I actually have not. But I would love to. It's been too long, too many regrets, too much hiding, too much fear, too much anxiety, too much stress. Forget that. I'm going to be obedient to what Christ has called me to do, and I'm going to take the step to be baptized. I think I was about 23 or 24 years old when that happened. I don't know what your story is today, but whatever your hangup is or maybe whatever your reservation is, I'll just say, man, let's, let's not have regrets. Let's follow Jesus in fullness and 100% being locked in and dialed in, not with like uh, worries and stress and anxiety about what we should do. If, if, you, if you feel like you need to be uh, baptized, man, we would encourage you to do that you can take that step is there's a card in the seat back in front of you and one of those categories on your left hand side is a way to say that you're interested in baptism and taking the step of baptism say do that today grab that card take it out to the blue tent today and talk to somebody talk to me talk to anybody uh, we'd love to be able to help you